You know, it's pretty uh, exciting. The last minute shopping, preparing for food. We're looking forward to getting together with family and everything. And the kids are looking forward to the presents, right? How many adults would admit you're looking forward to the presents too? Or you're more mature and you've got the grown-up Christmas list, right? With no more worlds torn apart and all, all those things. You know, it's an exciting time of year. And while we prepare for the food and the family and the presents and all of the festivities that, that go along with it, I just want to make sure that we don't forget why we celebrate Christmas. Today is the day before we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And maybe you don't know why we celebrate Jesus' birth. We've been doing it for over 2,000 years, and we do it not because he was born, but because of the way he lived and the things that he did and the things that he did at the end of his life for you and for me. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at uh, who Jesus was and who Jesus is, and we've been doing that through the lens of some statements that he made about himself, not what others said about him, but what he declared about himself. If you missed any of those messages, you can get those on our app, on our YouTube channel, like, share, all that stuff, so others can experience that as well. But today, we're going to look at the final statement that Jesus made about himself and see what he said in John chapter 4, where he said, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Messiah, the word Messiah, literally means anointed one. Jesus is saying, I am the anointed one. I am the one that was promised by the prophets. I am the one that you have been waiting for. Jesus declared, I am the Messiah. So we need some background context for that, though, for who he's talking to, what the situation was, because when we don't have the context, we often miss the point. We misunderstand what Jesus was trying to make clear. So if we go back to John chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So what we have going on here is Jesus' ministry is getting a lot of traction. He's seeing a lot of success more so than John the Baptist even. Now, it said the Pharisees had heard about that. The Pharisees did not like John the Baptist at all, all right? They didn't like him, and if Jesus is more successful than him, they're gonna hate Jesus all the more. So Jesus' ministry is getting traction, and it's creating some problems. So Jesus decides, okay, I've got some problems going on here. I'm gonna go back where I came from. I'm going back to Galilee. But then it says something very interesting. It says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. And I said, that's interesting. You're thinking, what's so interesting about that? Well, let me tell you. Jews did not go through Samaria. They avoided Samaria at all costs. Samaria was the most direct route for him to go from Jerusalem back into Galilee. But Samaritan people were dirty people, according to the Jews. They were literally, they called them dogs. So they would go the long way around to avoid going through Samaria because they didn't want to associate with Samaritans. So 
Jesus, though, was different. He saw it as a priority to go where other people would never go. And he also had a divine appointment that he knew about with a woman at a well. A very familiar story that uh, you may have heard before if you've been in church for very long. But on his way to Galilee, it says this. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Here we see something very important to understand about Jesus. Jesus is displaying his humanity here. See, Jesus could relate to you and me as a human being. See, the sun is at its peak right now. Jesus has been walking for 32 kilometers at this point in the day. He is tired. He is exhausted. In fact, the, the word wearily in that verse literally means to the point of sweat and exhaustion. He's worn out, he's spent, and at noon, under the blazing hot sun, he sits down by a well. Literally, he would have been slumped over is what the, the language indicates there. So he was really tired and worn out. What that tells us is that Jesus understands what it is like to be a person. He understands what it's like to be tired because he was one of us, to be weary, to be thirsty, to be hungry and worn out, to be exhausted. He understood what life was like. Can you relate to any of those words? Have you been sprinting into this Christmas season and you still got that shopping to do, even if it's just for food? And you're so tired. <coughs> and you're just thinking, oh, I'm so tired. Jesus understood that. He displayed his humanity. Look at verse 7. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, this is a normal activity. Samaritan women, women in that region of the world would have went to gather water every day. It's just what they did. It was a place of gathering and community where they would hang out and they would be able to share stories together and just do life together. The time of day, though, is significant. Because she came at midday to avoid others. Most of the women would come at dusk to miss the heat of the day. She came to avoid that gathering of people because she was an outcast in society. She had had five husbands. We're going to learn about that here in just a minute. But she was living in an adulterous relationship. And then Jesus speaks to this woman who went there trying to avoid people. And he asked her, for her drink. That's huge. A Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman, asking something from her. That was clearly out of bounds. Jesus is operating out of bounds. Jesus does that a lot. It's one thing I love about Jesus is he's kind of out of the box with the way he operates. But look what happened here, okay? Because it was out of the ordinary, the woman was surprised. She should have been surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's saying, Jesus, or she probably didn't even know his name at that point. I know the rules. 
I know this is not supposed to be happening. You are clearly a Jewish man. Jews don't have anything to do with us. Why are you doing this? I know your culture and what you're asking does not make any sense. The language here actually says, where it says that they don't have anything to do with Samaritans, they don't use the same utensils. That's the the language here. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to give me a drink of water. I want to drink out of the same cup as you do. It's beautiful figurative language here. So the woman is surprised. Jesus, friends, is surprising. And that's good for you and I to know that Jesus is surprising because when we reflect on our world today, there are people all around the world who need to know some things. They need to know that in their current condition, God loves them. They need to know who Jesus is. What Christmas is all about was the birth of Jesus. They need to know who Jesus is. And some of those people have made some really, really poor decisions in life. And they found themselves in places that they would have never dreamed of. And that, quite frankly, you and I and society would look at them and think, kind of, ooh. And we would keep them at arm's length. How do we as Christians respond to them? Friends, too often, I would suggest that we treat them with disdain. We judge them by their life because of their lifestyle and their behavior. I I like to say it like this. We expect non-Christians to be acting like Christians. And quite frankly, sometimes Christians need to be acting like Christians too. So why are we judging them? People who have done it tough in life and are in a difficult place often make us uncomfortable. So we want to shelter ourselves and our kids and our families from those people because we're afraid we might get something on us or something. I don't know. But far too often, the church worldwide has operated as if we are superior to other people. Because we're Christians, because we're following Jesus, then we're better than they are. We act like we're elite or superior sometimes. And friends, if you're here today for the first time, if you're tuning in online, my prayer, my hope is that this church is not that church. But I've been a part of churches like that. And it is a horrible, terrible thing when Christians are put off by people who are doing it tough in life and have made bad choices. Because a lot of times that judgment that we push onto those people drive them away from faith rather than drawing them to faith. And friends, if you have ever experienced that from a church, can I just say on behalf of churches all around the world, I am sorry for that. I hate that for you. And my heart and my desire is that you will find hope and healing in church, not disdain. Often, people are put off by a church because they feel judged by Christians. But you know what? They end up surprised when they find out 
that Jesus can deal with all that stuff. And that Jesus isn't judging them. Jesus will actually embrace them. Let's get back to our story for a minute. He, he's talking to this woman, and she asked him, why are you asking me for a drink? That's a great question, but what we're going to see following this is that Jesus engages her in that moment, and we can learn from him how to navigate spiritual conversations with people who don't yet believe. Look what he said in verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus turns the conversation to spiritual things, living water. He saw the opening. They're talking about water, and he said, hey, I can turn this to a spiritual thing. And then look what he said. He's going practical to spiritual. She said, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? And how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? So the woman's caught a little off guard. Jesus is trying to transition this conversation to spiritual things. She thinks he's still talking about water. And it's a deep well, and she's getting a little combative here. Hey, do you really think you can do better than our ancestors? That didn't put Jesus off at all. Notice that. that this is how he's engaging the conversation. He's not distracted. He's not put off. He then says this. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within, giving them eternal life. Then the woman says this. Please, sir. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Clearly, she's a little baffled right now. What in the world are we talking about? But hey, you're going to give me water that's living forever? I'll never have to come back here again. I won't have to come in the heat of the day to avoid all of my friends who are judging me. I'll never have to make that trek and carry that heavy water pot again. I'm on about that. Please Give it to me now. So Jesus is speaking of eternal life and using springs of living water. And she's saying, hey, I'll take that. Jesus knows she's confused, so he's going to make a huge shift in the conversation. It's like, okay, I tried to use figurative language here, but here we go. He tells the woman this, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. Here we see another amazing thing about Jesus. His humanity was on display. He's tired. Now we see his deity on display. His deity, the fact that he is God. He knew things about this woman that he could not have known naturally. And he told her. 
She says, hey, I'm interested in this because you, you got to be a prophet. And then she engages the conversation, recognizing something special about him. But I think she's still being a bit combative here, trying to test him. It's like, okay, let me see. If you're a prophet, what do you really know? How much more can we find out here? He replies to her question, believe me, my dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay, we're building up here, and here we go. Then it says this, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So now, we have the context. We've led up to the statement where Jesus declares, I am the Messiah. You know, John, the author of the book that we're reading from here, his whole purpose in writing his gospel account is summed up in chapter 20 and verse 31. It says, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's John's whole purpose, and we've seen it fully developed here in this conversation with the woman at the well. We saw Jesus' humanity in his weariness there when he sat by the well. We saw Jesus' deity as he told her everything about her from her history. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time today looking at who Jesus is talking to. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Up to now, it was others who had identified Jesus as Messiah. John the Baptist had identified him as the Son of God and told other people, hey, this is the dude that we've been waiting for. The disciples had identified him as the Messiah. But this is the first time that Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And he says it to a Samaritan woman. That is so significant, people. In chapter 3 of John, we're in chapter 4 right now, he has a lot of interaction with a guy called Nicodemus. He's talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is moral. He's upstanding. He is a Jew, he is learned, he is a theologian, he's from the socially elite, a prominent leader, he's devout, all these things. Seems like someone that would be in a position of power, and that it might be advantageous for Jesus to have said, hey, Nicodemus, we've had a good chat, guess what? I'm the Messiah. That would have been a good plan. I think that's, where, that's the way I would have done it if I had been Jesus. I'm just putting my cards on the table. That's how I would have done it. I want you to look at the contrast between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. He was seeking. She was indifferent. He's a respected ruler. She is an outcast. He was very serious in the conversation. It was a theological conversation. She was fairly flippant in the conversation. He was a Jew. She was a despised Samaritan. He was presumably moral. She was very immoral. 
And he was learned in religious matters, and she was ignorant. Jesus did not reveal his identity to the religious elite. He did not reveal his identity in the location where he was supposed to rule and reign in their minds, Jerusalem. That would have been the place for him to come out and say, I am the Messiah. This announcement is given to a woman who is an an outcast, a Samaritan. Again, this would not have been a great marketing strategy or strategic plan. He revealed himself to someone who had nothing to offer him to advance his cause, or so it would seem. What do we know about this woman? Well, first of all, this woman was immoral. She had been married multiple times, and now she's living in an adulterous relationship. And her immorality was not just according to Jewish law. The people in the society would have looked down on her, okay? They would have seen her as immoral. You know, there's actually moral people who don't follow Jesus. Did you know that? There's actually, I I actually know people who are really good, upstanding citizens, moral people, who sometimes I, I wonder if they live better lives than I do. And I know they live better lives than you do. Just saying if you're listening. But this woman would have been looked down upon not just by the Jewish leaders, but by everyone in society. She was immoral. She was also ignorant. Now, we all know the word ignorant does not mean stupid. It means uninformed. Okay, she was ignorant to, to what was going on. She didn't understand or know anything about the true religion. She had heard a few things, and she engaged Jesus a little bit. But she's uneducated, and Jesus even says to her this in verse 22. We didn't look at this one. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. So he's telling her, you're uneducated, you're ignorant. We also see that she is indifferent. She's indifferent. She's not seeking Jesus. Nicodemus came at night to find Jesus and engage with Jesus because he had heard that Jesus was the son of God. He was a prophet from God. He had heard about the things Jesus was doing. This woman had seen nothing, had heard nothing. She had no idea who Jesus was and she was indifferent about him. She's religiously indifferent. No idea who Jesus is. So this is the picture that we've got of the woman. And it was to this woman that Jesus said, I am the Messiah. And it's an amazing thing because when he said that, he's breaking down, breaking through all of these barriers. Look at the barriers he overcame here. Jesus engaged in difference. It's not a barrier, Jesus says. She's not seeking. She's really not interested. But Jesus engaged her in her indifference Gave her a reason to be seeking. Then he engages in her ignorance. It wasn't a barrier. Just because she didn't have all the answers, Jesus went past that. In fact, she didn't know who he was, but he entrusted her with the truth. He engaged that ignorance. 
And he also engages her immorality. Now, some of you are getting nervous right now. He did not approve of her immorality. That's not what we said there, but he engaged it. It wasn't a barrier. He wasn't afraid of it. She had a past, and she was rejected by society. He embraced her as a worshiper. Okay. Jesus broke down barriers by telling this woman, I am the Messiah. Jesus was declaring that he came to save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's a testimony that salvation is for all who believe. This has already been revealed back in John chapter 3 where he was talking to Nicodemus, that famous verse which we'll look at tomorrow morning if you're here. Uh, John 3.16, that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever... This woman was a whoever, and he engaged with her. So what does all this have to do with you? What does it have to do with me? Well, much like the woman at the well, people sometimes have barriers to belief, to coming to Jesus, things that get in the way. We have the same barriers that the woman had. Maybe it's indifference. You're not really interested you ever talk to people like that? Have you felt that way? It's like, you know, hey, I'm here at church today because somebody invited me. It's the holiday season. I need to be here and all that. But I'm really not that interested. Can I suggest to you that did you know that even though you may not be interested in Jesus, he's interested in you. And he'll engage in your indifference. It's okay. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe you think that you uh, aren't ready to follow Jesus because you don't have enough of the answers, that's okay. Jesus said, you have to come to me with the faith of a child. You have to come to me with faith that doesn't have all the answers. In fact, that's what faith is all about. You're not gonna have all the answers, but you need to trust me anyway. Jesus says, I can engage in that space if you're feeling like you can't come to me. If that's a barrier to belief, your ignorance, just have the faith of a child. Maybe it's your morality or immorality. Maybe you think that's a huge barrier and you think, oh, I, I'm not good enough. I'm really not a good person. And you say, Stan, you don't know the things I've done. Well, you don't know the things I've done. But you know who does know? Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I can get past that. That's exactly why I came, because of your indifference, because of your ignorance, because of your immorality. <laughs> forgive me, forgive me. I'm way better than I was yesterday. Jesus overcomes all these barriers. Are those barriers that are keeping you from Jesus today? You may find yourself in one of those categories. Jesus can meet you right where you're at in your indifference, your ignorance, your immorality. Those things are not showstoppers for him accepting you. He came to seek and save the lost. If that's you today, if you fit into those categories and that's been a barrier for you, I wanna encourage you. You can sort that out today. You can overcome those barriers. You can let Jesus overcome those in your life and you can come to faith in Jesus today. At the end of the service, I'll encourage you 
to just come up to the front. We'll have some elders up here and pastoral team that would love to talk to you and engage that conversation with you if these are barriers to you coming to faith. But when I look at these barriers, I see something else. I see barriers that we as Christians sometimes put in people's way. Barriers that stop us from sharing Jesus. When people are indifferent, when they're not interested, we don't make the effort to engage them. We think, well, hey, if they don't want to come to faith, if they don't want to know about Jesus, then, oh, well, I won't have the conversation. I won't do the hard work to engage them where they're at. I won't give them any reason not to be indifferent. When people are ignorant, at best, you know what we try to do? We try to argue them into faith. How, how does that work out for you if you've ever done that? <laughs> it doesn't work. Because once you start arguing, then you're in a debate. And the object of the debate is not to find truth. The object, object of the debate is to win. Right? So if you're debating people, trying to debate them into faith, they're not going to come because they've got to win. Right? That's an obstacle, that, a barrier we put in place. Then when, when people are immoral, sometimes we, we want them to clean up their act more than we want to show them grace. We're afraid to engage with them. We're afraid of what people might think if we're talking to someone who is of a bad reputation or something. You know, uh, a great example of this, and we don't have time to get into it. Go home and read John chapter four like 20 times yourself. John chapter 4, the disciples, they, they were with Jesus to start with on this journey when he stopped by the well, and then they went to the city to buy food. Who's in the city? Samaritans. Lots of people, okay? Lots of people that they would have seen as unworthy to hear the gospel. That they would have had huge barriers. Racism would have been a big one. They would have saw them as religiously defiled people. And they would not have engaged, they didn't engage with them. In fact, Jesus told them after they came back with the food, he said, hey, I sent you to a city where there was plenty of people that needed to know about me and you didn't bother. If you read the story a little further, you see the woman, once she realized Jesus was the Messiah, she left her water there. She forgot about that. She ran to the city and she told all the people in the city, hey, I have found the Messiah. And they came, and it says that many people from that city believed that day. What's stopping us from sharing Jesus? Do we look at people this way and say, you know what, I can't be bothered? That brings me to the last barrier. When you look at this woman, she got past all the barriers that would have stopped her from coming to faith. But those same barriers would have been there and they would have created this one before she shared the barrier of inadequacy. She would have thought, hey, man, because of this list, there's no way. I'm not worthy to share. But guess what? She found Jesus and nothing else mattered. He overcame her inadequacy and she shared faith. And as we wrap up today, Christmas is all about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Elf reckons that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loudly for all to hear. Elf has never met me. Um, yes. Why are you clapping? 
you know. It's so hurtful. I would suggest the best way to spread Christmas cheer is for us to not be hindered by societal norms or our personal biases, but to recognize that Jesus came for everyone. That's why we're celebrating Christmas tomorrow. He came for everyone, and we need to do this. We need to break down barriers by extending grace, by engaging with genuine love and sharing the life-transforming message of the Messiah. Break down some barriers today, tomorrow. You're going to be engaging with people because it's Christmas. Christmas has a reason. And the reason is Jesus. Let people know. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Jesus breaks down the barriers of our indifference, our ignorance, or our immorality, and our inadequacy. He doesn't see obstacles. He sees people he loves, died for. Help us to see people the way you do. And Lord, help us this Christmas to break down barriers by speaking Jesus into people's lives. In whose precious name we pray, amen.